I'm Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop. And I am panicked about the Celtics' potential of winning the NBA Finals. Sir, I didn't even say friend or what. What's up, you prick? Oh, well, not much, ah, asshole. No, too late. I know, you I know. already committed. That's true. You committed before my commit. Yes. Let's do it. Not much, my man. It's smoking hot out there. <laughs> I know it is. Yeah. I tempted. I'm wearing black sweats and a black long sleeve shirt just to lose a couple of pounds. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have a funny story. I got nothing funny happening in my life. There's nothing but like real problems out there hmm. the war in ukraine school shootings um well i mean we're that's pretty bad right there it's pretty bad right there yes. the um well we're just looking to survive the summer here in phoenix which gets really stinking hot but you head to norway i head to coronado i'm excited about the summer i just dropped max off in montana very nice max is living it that little prick so speaking of pricks He's working at a really fancy dancy golf course, so he's he's excited to meet Justin Timberlake and Tom Brady, who I think are oh, supposedly members. And um, so Max is working on his dance moves, I think. What a life. Montana's a beautiful place. The little town that he's in, Big Sky, is a little bit like Coronado. Anyways, let's today talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, which is, um, who's the guest? No. We're going to talk <laughs> about a, a subject near and dear to my heart, which is fitness, sleep, health. The only thing that's not interesting to me, and our guests will, will try and convince me, is the data. You know, when I, you were, uh, I mean, no one, no one partied like Canute. Canute, you smoked cigs for how long? 25 years. And drank like a fish for how many years? Still do. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so, how do you sleep? Poorly. Yeah. And yeah. do you track anything about yourself? No. I mean, and, and by the way, you look fantastic. Not a wrinkle on you. We're sharing doctors now. Um, and your hair is fantastic. Uh, you have one eye that floats around because you had a mad doctor, Mengele, <laughs> working on you at some point. <laughs> That's the Mengele. But I mean, if there's someone, I mean, the Nords, the Norwegians, what do you call yourself? The Nords? I don't know. The Nordics, maybe. The Nordics. The Norwegians. The Norwegians. Give a fuck about that. You got that oil money and you got that great skin and you're going to die. You drink like fishes, and you don't have sun, and you're all going to die. But Americans, is that true, or am I yeah, uh, we're all making gonna, a— We're all going to die at some point, Howard. I'm making a, a wild oversimplification of the, <laughs> uh, of the Nordics. Yes. So, well, that's what I do here to make things simple for people. But um, in the U.S., we're fascinated with this. Like, every TV show is like, you know, Desperate Housewives or Housewives of This, and everybody has fake this— I am more bringing it real, and I am fascinated with, you know, sleep, fitness. I ride my bike. And so I have a whoop, long story short. And I know all the investors. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, as you know, we've had him on the show. Brad Feld at Foundry. And then uh, John Costner, uh, who you don't know, but I know. Because I know more people than you can 
and a Ryan Spoon, who's like a fanatic about this stuff. And I think I got Ryan into the whoop. And he just, he's a data freak. So we shamed uh, Will, the founder and CEO of this 10-year-old company, to be on the podcast. So a little bit about Will so he doesn't have to waste time. He has built over 10 years, you know, a multi-billion dollar valuation. I don't know about the size of the business. We can chat about it. But uh, multi-billion dollar company. They closed a couple hundred million from uh, SoftBank. All right. Yeah. And investors, I mentioned some of them, uh, but there's Patrick Mahomes, who I was supposed to see yesterday. And also Kevin Durant, who I just saw on David Letterman. Him and uh, David Letterman became friends. So that's pretty cool. I think Will went to Harvard. I read this GQ article about, you know me, I don't prepare. I know. My preparation is that I love entrepreneurs and everybody says Will's great. Will's got his own podcast, so he talks to legends. And and what got me piqued my interest is seeing all these golfers, my son as well, wearing the whoop. So they were measuring like Rory for a while, and I don't know if this is still going on. Will can catch us up, but there was a point in time where all the golfers were wearing it. So I want to go into that. They were measuring their heart rate like when they hit a, a shot that was stressful. It was kind of cool to see their their heart rate as they swung a club because, you know, swinging a golf club with people watching you is, would you say, difficult? Always. Yeah. So seeing the pros do it, it was kind of a cool thing. So we'll talk about building a fitness hardware slash software company in the era of uh, Apple, obviously with the Apple Watch. Um, a lot of my listeners ping me with questions. I may or may not get to them, but uh, let's welcome Will. Will, you're on. All right. Thanks for having me. Where are you today? I am in Boston. I'm in the Whoop office. Um, looking out my window, I see Fenway Park. Oh, wow. So you are, you listen, Boston, as much as I hate Boston, I'm a Toronto boy. Uh, we don't know from championships. We got one NBA uh, fluke championship, as you know. It's a good way to describe it. Yeah, there's no way to describe, you know, and then the Leafs, eh, endless. And you guys just get a championship a year if they're one of your teams. This year, it looks like you're, you're, you're panicked about the Celtics. I mean, what's it? So if they don't win this year, big deal. Are you a huge Celtics fan? I would consider myself a moderate Celtics fan. I am, you know, a Boston native now of uh, 12 plus years. And uh, it's a great, first of all, it's a great town to build a technology business. But for Whoop, we're kind of at the center of health and fitness and sports and research. And uh, Boston has a lot to offer in all those categories. And who is the biggest athlete using the product that is working with the company? Well, you know, if, if you meet a professional athlete who wears a wearable, there's probably like a 98% chance it's a Whoop. We've we've captured that market pretty successfully. Um, in terms of Whoop investors, um, Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, uh, Kevin Durant, um, Justin Thomas. Um, you know, we've we've been fortunate to to get to raise capital and work with a lot of uh, really interesting athletes. Most recently, Michael Phelps. Um, but you know, it's, it's also cool just getting photos sent to me of the, you know, the all time greats, uh, with a whoop on their wrist. Someone just sent me a photo of Cristiano Ronaldo wearing one. Um, and, and it starts to touch other industries too. I, I, I got a photo recently of Justin Bieber wearing a whoop, uh, George W. Bush wearing a whoop, you know, so these are all really different walks of life, but, uh, people who are high performance individuals for sure. Yeah, it would have been cool to see what Bush's heart rate was when he was launching missiles on uh, on Iraq, don't you think, Canute? 
That would so, be yeah. so, so, Canute, make sure you get uh, Will a picture of me wearing my whoop to bed. Because <laughs> that, that might be a highlight for him. We need that, actually. Maybe just from the chest up then. <laughs> Have you ever paid someone not to wear your product? Because I am willing to do that as well. Look, we, we love all Whoop members. I've never met a Whoop customer I didn't like. The, uh, well, listen, you haven't lived long enough. You're a young man. Yeah. So was it because of Harvard that you stayed in Boston? It really was. I mean, I, I always thought I was going to move the business to New York. I got into the space because I was into sports and exercise. I was a, a college athlete. I was captain of the Harvard squash team. Felt like I didn't know what I was doing to my body while I was training. And so I did a bunch of physiology research around how you could continuously measure the human body. And uh, a few, you know, hundred medical papers later and, and a, a thesis of my own. And, and I was starting WHOOP uh, my senior year. And it just so happened that was around when the Harvard Innovation Lab was getting off the ground. Harvard Innovation Lab being Harvard's version of like an accelerator or yeah. a shared office space environment. And I thought I was going to be there just for the summer, uh, but but three months turned into eighteen months. And by the time we we graduated from uh, the Harvard Innovation Lab, we were the the largest company in there. And at that point, we had raised capital from local investors. We had maybe fifteen full time uh, members of the team, and of course, they lived in Boston. And um, we were working with a bunch of sports teams in Boston. We were working with a number of um, professors out of Harvard or MIT. So it all just built on itself. And, and sure enough, one day, you, you know, you wake up 10 years later and, and you live in Boston and you've got, you know, some 600 uh, employees. Wow. Well, congrats on that. The, it really is fantastic. And you love, I can tell that you love what you're doing. You're engaged in the community. It is a community, kind of like what we built at StockTwits, you know. And how did you meet Brad Feld? How did Foundry? Because they did... Um, before that, they did Fitbit, and so they knew the ups and downs of hardware and stuff. Is it Brad that you met? How did you meet them? Because they, they have Techstars Boston, but I'm wondering how you guys met. I didn't ask Brad. Well, we were first <clears throat> introduced to Foundry Group, I believe, through um, Eric Paley at Founder Collective. Uh, oh, Founder Eric's Collective. Yeah. yeah, so they were they were seed investors in Whoop. I uh, met Eric um, at the Harvard Innovation Lab. I think he may have actually been the first venture capitalist I ever met. Yeah. Uh, well, you met one of the greats, Eric. Which, which was a good he, he really is, and he, that was a great place to start. And um, he believed in me before a lot of other people believed in me. So I, I'm forever grateful for that. But years later, so you know, I met Eric in 2013. I think we met Foundry Group in 2019. Oh, got it. So you're well along. Yeah, we were in the sense that the technology was well along. But the business model, there were aspects of the business model that were still um, new because in May of 2018, we made this bet the business transition to being a subscription. Right. So Whoop before 2018 was really in the hardware business, which is a lousy business for a lot of reasons. But particularly, it's, it's lousy for customers because you have to pay all this money up front and you don't really know what you're getting. And then you also have a business on the other end that's not necessarily evolving to your needs. And in the case of health improvement or fitness, you really need a product that's going to be constantly evolving, not a product that's um, a one-time thing. So turning Whoop into a subscription was a very good strategic decision for us. And 
uh, Foundry Group learned a lot from being um, investors in Fitbit and uh, seeing that journey, which was a successful journey for them as investors. But one, I think, where they felt there was still more upside or potential. And one of the areas where I think they they saw upside for Whoop was the the fact that we had made this big transition to subscription. And is it with Brad that you worked or someone else there? I've worked most closely with uh, Chris Moody, who's on on the board oh, sure, of Whoop. from Twitter. Uh, yeah, from Gnip. So he knows yeah. data and he knows scale for sure. Yeah. So so yeah. So you were in the you were in the uh, pit of despair for six years building hardware. What was the key breakthrough around hardware? Well, I mean, to be clear, we were we were in the I don't know if you call it despair, but we were in the challenge of building everything. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of years, investors thought that was too expensive and too yeah. slow, and they were. They were probably right, but they were but they were wrong about the potential of doing all of that really well. And the reality is if you could build every layer of the technology, the hardware, the software, the analytics, the um, signal processing, the scoring, the the, uh, the ability uh, to have communities around this this technology, um, in our case, the accessories to go with the technology to make it super wearable, you know, all of those things became core differentiators for Whoop. And the, today, it's a really powerful stack to be able to interact with because there's a lot of different ways to solve a customer problem. But all of that's sort of irrelevant. The, the most important thing is that we're in the business of, of behavior change and health improvement. So if you are trying to quickly summarize what makes Whoop different from uh, any other wearable on the market, the the single most important thing or the single way we think about it is through the lens of health improvement. So if you've been on Whoop for a year, you have a lower resting heart rate, you have a higher heart rate variability. On average, you're getting about an hour more sleep. Um, you've probably changed at least two or three things directly about your lifestyle, one of the common ones being alcohol consumption. So that's really how we define our business. And there's a number, you know, a number of layers that we had to get right in order to be in the business of health improvement. But that's how we think about it. And who was the first athlete to come to you and say you're on to something, like out of the wild? Well, two of our first hundred users, so this would have been like 2014, um, early 2015, were LeBron James and Michael Phelps. So, and you can argue they were the two biggest athletes in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, or at least in the top five. And, uh, and so that was pretty validating for us that athletes of that caliber were, were getting value out of it. And there was two reasons that we went after athletes of that caliber. One, we felt that professional athletes were a good market because their salaries and their career performance really depended on how they were sleeping and recovering, and yet they had never had this data before. But two, and and probably more importantly in the long run, if we could get the world's best athletes to authentically love the product, and when I mean authentically, I mean we're not paying them to wear it, but rather they're even paying us because they get value out of the data. If we could get them to authentically like the product, we could actually build a brand around performance and make health monitoring cool. One of the problems I had with health monitoring historically is that it's definitively not cool. You know, if you see someone wearing a wearable, it's almost like uh, there's something wrong with them, Mm -hmm. right? It was like there was a stigma associated with the fact that they were wearing a health monitor. So this, this brand perception 
or positioning, I should say, of being in and around professional sports and athletes creates a positive association with the product, which I think in turn has helped us build a, a consumer brand. So LeBron comes along, does it, and what's the key beside, what is the key thing that people love about it? So, you know, you're on the mission to unlock human performance, right? It's sleep, strain, recovery. I finally got the, the last one. So we'll talk about me because maybe I'm an edge case and I'm just not the customer. So I finally got one. Ryan Spoon said, you got to get the four. I think the four is your latest one, right? Yeah, whoop four, I am. Yep. And so stylistically, it's nice. And I wore it, but I don't drink. And I kind of, because I'm a cyclist, not like a professional or anything good, just because I'm a consistent cyclist, I kind of know why I do fitness, which is I, I do fitness so that I can eat more because <laughs> all I care about is eating. So cycling is the one thing that allows me to eat whatever the hell I want. Sure. And so I wasn't finding, you You know, you don't have time to talk to all your customers. So what am I missing about it? Like, meaning I, I don't drink. I just suck at sleeping. And I know that if I take an Ambien, I can go to sleep. I also know that probably if I just put down my computer two, three hours before or eight, three hours before going to bed, that would be easier. So what does the whoop do beyond that that could help a person who knows it's really still about they've got to make some changes to their habits and a wearable can't do that for them? Well, I guess the, the, the easiest way to summarize this question is in terms of the things that you know and the things that you don't know. So in the terms of the things that you know, mm-hmm. so you're, you're expressing that you know um, you should go to bed earlier or you know that you should... Uh, you know, eat differently in certain ways or put your laptop um, to bed earlier. Uh, That's sort of a category of of information uh, that becomes a good accountability tool around. You know, there's this notion of of manage what you measure. And, you know, most people intuitively know that drinking alcohol is not good for them. But when they see in the data, for example, that just having – two drinks dramatically changes how they sleep or, you know, they're waking up with a red recovery on a Tuesday and going into the office, that actually does change their behavior and it becomes a source of accountability. Um, So even though you you may know some of these these, uh, things about your own lifestyle, um, the the WHOOP is able, I think, to uh, create a, a powerful accountability around them. The second area, which for you may be more valuable, uh, is the things that you don't know. And I would guarantee that there are certain things about your lifestyle uh, that you don't know how they're affecting your body. Um, what are popular examples of this? We've seen certain diets. We've seen certain um, supplements uh, have profoundly different reactions to people. And that's something you can manage through the Whoop Journal. Uh, where you could start saying, okay, I'm taking this supplement today and uh, and then whoop over time will be able to tell you whether or not it's positively or negatively affecting your body. Your audience might be the type of audience that likes this notion of A-B tests on themselves, but that's something that, that whoop can help do. The other category, which is less lifestyle and I would frame more as an alerting system is, uh, and this is really the next frontier for whoop, um, and it relates to things that you don't know, is being able to alert you um, to things that uh, are really off. 
So uh, during COVID-19, the popular example of this has been alerts related to respiratory rate, because it turns out if you have an elevated respiratory rate, um, that's a sign that you may have COVID-19. So, you know, we've gotten tens of thousands of messages from people related to an elevated respiratory rate being a predictor for them of COVID, which they otherwise would not have known had they not gotten this alert in the app. I've gotten messages from people who got an alert related to their resting heart rate. And because their heart rate was so off, they went and saw a doctor and it turned out they were having a heart attack. I got a message just last night from a woman who it turned out she had a collapsed lung. She didn't know. So that's if you think about the potential of where health monitoring is going and where WHOOP is going, it's the ability to alert, alert you to things that you have no idea of about your body and that can ultimately have these huge, hugely important uh, effects on, on, on your livelihood. So the number one question I get, and I'm sure you get all the time, because I ask people, what's the questions for Will? And they were like, well, I got to and I And I guess I would have this question but I don't because I don't wear an Apple watch. So that got to be the number one question is like, why can't it do both? So is Apple the biggest competitor in many ways? I mean, it's good for the market. Like, so let me give you my take on watches. It's like, everybody's thought the watch market would be dead. It's probably been the best thing ever for Rolex and Patek uh, that Apple watch came out. Um, So they've expanded the TAM, let's call it, uh, which is a, a good cover for you. But, I don't want to wear two things. So how do you deal with that? I think Apple's done a great job uh, with the Apple Watch, and I think they've really owned the category of smartwatch. I don't know that they have uh, been that successful as a health monitor. So Whoop is great at all the things that it does, also for all the things that it doesn't do. We've been very intentional and focused about health monitoring. In a given day, we'd collect about a thousand to 10,000 times as much health data as, uh, say, an Apple Watch or a Fitbit. So just right there, you've got this sort of order of magnitude difference in the way that you're approaching health data and health monitoring. And, you know, with that comes all sorts of additional enhancements that we can make to the accuracy of the data or the quality of the feedback and the coaching, um, and then ultimately driving at, at health improvement. Um, I, I hear you on the don't want to wear two things. Interestingly, many people are willing to wear two things as long as they're not both watches. So the reason that Whoop doesn't have a screen is, in fact, that we don't want to compete with your Apple Watch or your Rolex or your Patek or fill-in-the-blank watch um, because there's many reasons to wear a watch, and and often they are uh, a fashion statement or say something about your identity. So we're, we're fairly conscious of that. And the other direction that we're pushing Whoop as a wearable is this ability to make the product disappear. So we've come out with a whole accessories line called Whoop Body, and uh, we've patented anywhere technology, which means you can put the sensor in these different locations on your body and still get the same quality of data. So for literally someone who wants to wear a watch and doesn't want to wear anything else on their wrist, they can now put the Whoop sensor in their boxers in a bra, in underwear, uh, in shirts, uh, in shorts. Uh, so we have a whole line of accessories and apparel that literally w- allows you to wear the sensor anywhere. So wait a minute, would I just go to whoop.com? You go to whoop.com. At least I got the CEO to tell me what to do. So so I go to whoop.com. Is that with two H's or one H? No, I'm kidding. So, so I go to whoop.com. So I'm the idiot because it's sitting in the drawer. 
I needed to have you on the show just to just to learn how to use the product. <laughs> so I'm going to go get some under. We should partner with Manscaped, by the way, one of my investments. And, and Manscaped and Whoop should be partnering, by the way. Do you know Do you know the Manscaped guys? I don't, but it's the a razor company? or Yeah, yeah, it's a ball shaver. You can't say that because you're from Harvard, but I'll tell you, it's a ball <laughs> shaving company. So I'm going to connect you two because they sell so much underwear. That's a great partnership. So just remember me when, but hang on. So, so I go to whoop.com because the, the only problem for me is exactly that. I don't want to wear it on my wrist. So where did, where is someone who's 56 and disgusting wear this? Do you think best? Cause I don't care about fashion. I just care about the data. Well, you can wear it on your wrist or you can wear it in your boxers or shorts. I mean, if you're looking to wear something 24 seven, maybe you just put it in your boxers, you know? Okay. Got it. And, uh, well, how do you put it in? I'll, I'll go to the website. We invented these little pockets uh, that are woven into the garment, and they essentially enable the technology to collect the, the data as accurately from that location as any other location, and or as accurately as from your wrist. So um, that, that's something that we've seen success with. We, we even saw a lot of athletes wearing it on their bicep. Like in the golf world, you'll see many golfers wearing it on their bicep. I noticed that they weren't wearing as a golf fanatic not not a player my son is and i was talking about the whoop and i think we stopped seeing people wearing so they're hiding it now yeah i would say about 50 percent of the pga tour wears whoop so right. it's certainly got deep market penetration and uh yeah but i don't think it's on their wrist they've moved it around i got it, it yeah it varies uh you know you'll see it on rory mcelroy's wrist and you'll see it on justin thomas's uh bicep Right, because I remember seeing it on Justin's wrist, and these guys are particular about what's on them and how they think through things. So that's interesting. So that's great to. And by the way, we respect that. Right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, we want to be a tool for the end user. And sports is a finicky thing. Some yeah. people don't like wearing stuff on their wrist, and certain activities, like if you're a boxer or a wrestler, or uh, you know, even racket sports, people may not want to have something on their wrist. So that's where uh, the garments come in. The fact that people can now wear it in a pair of boxers, you don't even know it's there. Uh, women wearing it in a bra. I mean, that's pretty powerful. So should I have two? Should I have the watch when I want to wear the watch and then a garment? So you have to buy two of these now? Well, the power is that the sen- it's the same sensor. Oh, so I can take it out of the watch and store it in, a, in the underwear. You can take it out of the band, the band. and slide it into the garments. Yeah. I, I'm careful not to use the word watch because whoop doesn't right. have yeah. a watch face on it. Right. Correct. It's just a, a sensor, which is enabled by these different pieces of apparel. Yeah. Is there a good customer support line to talk to somebody like myself? Yeah. We, I mean, we have a whole membership services team like uh, directly in the whoop app that you can interact with. Okay. Well, the user error, can you, are you surprised by that? No. <laughs> So at least I'm giving Will a chance to, uh, I mean, he's dealing with the worst customer possible. Probably, yeah. So, okay, well, that really helps. How did you go about, think about this at the beginning? Is it about the chip? Was that the biggest problem? Like, I don't understand how it's made. Is it made in China or is it made in the U.S.? Well, we, we, manuf- we, we manufacture now in both China and in Mexico. Uh but I think what you're driving at is like, what's the, what's the magic here? Yeah. Um, I mean, fashion is part of the magic and, and your marketing and ability to, like you said, make it a wearable. So there's a lot of tech going on there and, and testing. But what was the original magic 
and and if you can't tell me, you can't tell me, but is it about a chip or is it about design? Well, it, it goes back to many layers of, uh, of difficulty in this space. I mean, if you just zoom out for a second, right, like wearable technology, um, and Nike launched the, the fuel band, which ultimately failed. Mm-hmm. Under Armour spent about a billion dollars, ultimately exited the wearable space. Good point. Um, Adidas launched the Me Coach, um, ultimately exited, uh, the space. Microsoft launched a smartwatch, uh, health monitor, um, ultimately abandoned and exited the space. Intel bought Basis, ultimately exited the space. Um, Samsung's had pretty limited success with their smartwatch. Um, Jawbone raised about a billion dollars, went bankrupt. Fitbit, you know, pretty good success story, but they went public for eight billion, sold for two point two billion to Google, uh, right? To, to Google. Google, right? So, um, I, and I bring all this up because, uh, and and there's probably twenty more startups I could name in the last ten years that have failed in the wearable space. I bring this up just to emphasize that I do think it's a really difficult space. Like those are really good companies. Yeah. Um, and with really, you know, with like really talented people. So I think it's a uniquely difficult space because you have to be able to build hardware that is super accurate or super technologically advanced. But you also have to create something that people are willing to wear and willing to wear 24-7. And that just introduces this whole other layer of complexity and challenge. And for Whoop, We've really had to be great, I think, at building hardware and software and analytics, and we've had to be great at design. And, you know, you probably also need some notion of community or brand to have a chance in this space. So we've built all of that stuff from scratch. And I think it's why along the way, so many investors passed on Whoop because it was, it was kind of scary in, in terms of its ambition. Yeah, man, now I got, that goes down up to a bunch of other questions. So where were you raised? I grew up on the North Shore of Long Island. Got it. And so was fitness always kind of your thing? Yeah, like I was always into sports. I probably played a dozen sports when I was, you know, 10 years old. And uh, I played five different sports in high school. And then I ultimately played squash in, in college. Yeah, I'm from Toronto, so I played squash. What do you, what does your left toenail, big toenail look like? Have you lost a nail recently? My nails are just fine. Thank you. Oh, I thought squash. Everybody jams their toes. I, I it was brutal. Is squash is squash popular still? Yeah, it's increasingly popular, especially internationally. I mean, it's got a, a bigger presence internationally even than in the U.S. But uh, within college sports, it's been it's been growing in popularity. So, was this the first company you started? Whoop is not just the first company I started. It's my first full time job. Wow. Okay, so you did this right after. So, how old are you today? I'm thirty two. Oh, you're a baby. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Mm. All right. Well, we don't do that often. So third, I didn't know it was your first because, you know, I do heavy due diligence because I'm 56 and just assume everybody else is in their 50s if they're successful. Understood. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little disappointing. At first, I'm upset that now you're only 32. But uh, congratulations. So so it is. You. So who you got lucky with Eric early? Who? Like in terms of mentorship, you got a lot of stuff to learn here. How do you deal with being mentored in this space? Who who's kind of been stepping up here? Well, I think it's evolved with different stages of the company. Um, I think the first few years of the company, the two most important things I was managing were the design of this overall wearable system, which 
as we've established, it was pretty ambitious and complex and being really thoughtful about uh, what to do and what not to do. So, for example, we made the strategic decision that we weren't going to be a watch, that we weren't going to create all this different smartwatch functionality. We weren't going to measure steps. Like there was a bunch of things that strategically we decided not to do. However, we did decide we were going to invent a modular charger, which means that you can charge whoop without ever taking it off your body um, because continuous monitoring was so important. So that would be an example of like something in the early years, which put us on a 10 year trajectory um, from a design standpoint. And uh, one person in particular, Nicholas Negroponte, who is the founder of the MIT Media Lab and One Laptop Per Child, he was someone who became a, a mentor during a lot of that, that design phase, which is, looking back on it, some of the most fun fun time I've had in, in developing the company. The other, the other thing in the first few years was not running out of money. And so yeah. that's where... Oh, the old running out of money problem. Yeah, and we we were constantly running out of money for sure. years um, because it, the technology took a lot longer to build, and it also took us a while to find the right business model. Um, so, you know, some of our early stage investors were quite helpful in in that regard. Uh, people like Eric Paley and Jeff Fagnan and um, oh, the guys Jeff in, at uh, oh man, accomplished. He's, he's so smart. Jeez, yeah, you got great investors. Yeah. Um, all right. So what is it that you will five years from now, think, take it to a next level? Obviously forgetting the product that exists today and improving on it. Is it all about packing more into the community? Is it about media? Is it, what do you do here? I think community and media will be important layers, uh, to the platform. Um, but if if you want to just look at it over a three to five year period. I think the the most powerful transformation that Whoop will make is to go from improving people's lives to saving their lives. And that's the potential of health monitoring is that you can identify and diagnose things about the human body that individuals can't feel. We've gotten a taste of this with COVID-19. We've gotten a taste of this with individuals realizing they were about to have a heart attack or they had some unique disease and didn't know why, and they go to their doctor, and it turns out they have Lyme disease, or they've got mono, or they've got um, some you know condition that otherwise they wouldn't have recognized had they not been measuring their bodies. And I think over time, uh, that's going to become more and more common. I think the the ability to measure your body and on a twenty four seven basis be alerted to something that's wrong uh, is inevitably the future of of uh, health monitoring. Yeah. And that's a future I'm pretty excited to build. Okay, well, I, I buy into that. I got to start thinking through how I would think about it in, in a different way because I'm not going to be the Whoop customer that cares about getting better at fitness. But I am the type of customer that wouldn't mind being alerted for whatever I'm paying a month. How much is it a month that I'm paying? It's like 20 to 30 bucks. Okay, so so I am the type of customer that happily pay that if I could be alerted to something. So I have to use this product better, Canute. So yes. will you stay on me? Absolutely. Will you check my underwear tomorrow? No, thank you. <laughs> so, so there really is, I think that's the right answer for you. So there has to be a way to re-trigger me, and maybe I'm not opening my email, but like you should know that I'm not using it and, and want to know why, no? For sure, yeah. yeah. So I don't know what's broken in that system, meaning that 
I shouldn't what have What do you mean it's broken? I'm, I'm on your podcast. This is how we get you back. <laughs> I haven't made you laugh. So you haven't actually, this could be a robot. So you are a tough one to crack. Usually people, I mean, I, this is the longest I've gone without a chuckle from somebody, you know, so it's, you're doing good. Like you are breaking some records here. You are like the, the Michael Phelps of not laughing. Well, I've got a big smile, but you know, I can tell that, that your style is to kind of ease people in and then hit them over the head. With I a tried to hit you quickly; nothing happened. Yeah. So you're a thick-skulled <laughs> Harvard boy. But hang on. Yeah. So, but I really care about these things because the smartest people, I, the people I look up to in the world, are super bullish on this. You know, I'm friends with Calvin Beecham, and he loves this. And I'm friends with John Costner, who you know, and he loves this. And and Ryan Spoon and Brad Feld. So it's like people Great that people. I look up to as like both fitness and brains and style, you know, even though it's weird style and fashion. Uh, and, and I'm staring at my thing in my drawer and I'm a little pissed at myself cause I don't like, you know, not understanding things. So I'm trying to give some free feedback here or try and understand what I got wrong. It took me a lot to finally just get one and I'm upset with myself for not using it, but you've given me some stuff to go think about. And why did you start a podcast? Just because you like it or it's good for the brand or both? Well, I was realizing I was having all these fascinating conversations with people who were wearing Whoop. Uh, they were high performance individuals or professional athletes or, you know, CEOs of, of big companies, uh, doctors. Uh, and so I was thinking to myself, like, gosh, that, that was a great soundbite that this person just said to me, it was fascinating and an interesting way to use the product or, you know, some kind of nuance about their lifestyle that was performance oriented, um, things related to mindset. And, and so I said to myself, like, wouldn't that be interesting if that were more widely told? And a podcast is also an interesting thing because it, it is sort of known as being more of an organic channel. Whereas we have all these really interesting people who pay whoop that we don't, uh, that we don't pay in turn. Um, it felt like a good organic way to have conversations. And, uh, and so I said, let's do 10 of them and see how it goes. I, I, I certainly wasn't committed to it, uh, for the long run, but, uh, I think this week we just released our 178th episode. So it's, uh, it's gone better than I could have hoped. And so you're, you've done all of them, right? You're the, you're the host. I, I've hosted, yeah, probably 75, 80% of them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're worth, the world's best athletes. They're with um, health experts. They're with uh, doctors, mindset coaches, uh, all sorts of really interesting people. Um, and and I think the common thread is health improvement or human performance. Is this the best podcast you've ever done? This one right now? Yeah. I don't think so, but I'm, <laughs> I'm you know, it's maybe maybe it's maybe it's trending. <laughs> No, it'll never trend. So who was your favorite guest? Gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, okay, two. Okay, well, the, the first person who came to mind, which like blew your mind, to... like you were like, whoa, and they had fun too. I, I interviewed Alex Honnold. Do you know who that is? He's no, the, uh, is, he in, uh, is he on death row? He's the climber from Free Solo. Oh my God, that guy has hands. That guy's unbelievable. Best athlete in the world. Uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, yeah. What is so, wrong with him? So for people who aren't familiar with Alex, he scaled El Capitan, yeah. um, this enormous uh, He's not Jewish. slab we know of a that. mountain um, without 
without using uh, any ropes. I think he which laughed. Was, Canute, he laughed. Which was said to be possible. <laughs> you had a short, uh, short chuckle there. I heard a chuckle. Canute, just yeah. br- bring that up in the production of it, Canute. Not a problem. Yeah. So anyway, so so that guy is unbelievable. So keep going. Well, what I found fascinating about him is there's this perception of Alex that he doesn't feel fear, uh, which would be a fair perception for someone who is able to climb a mountain without a rope. Uh, but in unpacking like his whole shtick and his lifestyle and whatever, it turned out he did feel fear in a lot of different other areas of his life. Uh, for example, he was terrified giving a TED talk to describe climbing a mountain without a rope, which he was not terrified for. Like, that's a fascinating conundrum. And and one won't kill him, the other will. Right. And he was terrified of the one that wouldn't kill him. Exactly. It's weird. So what I found fascinating about the conversation were like all these things that related to um, how he mentally prepared for climbing that, that mountain to a point where he had effectively pre-gamed in his mind all the ways that it was going to go well or all the ways that it could go poorly and in turn proven to himself that he was going to do it. Um, And then the other thing that's fascinating about him is he he wears whoop and he gets some of the most REM sleep of any single person on our entire platform. Wow. And and what's cool about it, it's like over four hours of REM sleep, which is an insane, by the way, it's an insane amount of REM sleep. It'd be good to get over two hours a night. So the fact that you get 12 minutes, which is another reason I put my, (laughs) how am I living? (laughs) We might want to dial that up. (laughs) That's why I got nervous. I'm like, no one, someone should have called me from whoop and said, are you really a person or are you a pig? Yeah. We're going to want to bump those numbers. Yeah. Believe me. No one wants so, to bump those numbers more than me. I felt embarrassed. I thought Whoop was going to out me in a newsletter. So just to close the loop on Alex, so the the powerful thing about REM sleep is that it's been proven to reduce your amygdala response. Hmm. Um, and so it makes all the sense in the world that the best, you know, the best rock climber who feels no fear of rock climbing yeah. gets an insane amount of REM sleep. It also explains why I fall over a lot on flat surfaces. <laughs> at noon <laughs> Knud, my megdala is off most likely yes <laughs> at that and so, a few other things so the, and I it's always sorry you don't know me but it's always about me Will like my REM sleep is fucking pathetic and it's like almost a comedy and it's all on me I know it but I, I gotta start taking this series four hours of REM sleep do, so you, eat, I, do you eat late in the night I eat during sleep, obviously. How else could you have so little REM sleep? Someone's feeding me, which, <laughs> which is a whole other story. I've tried to film whoever this is, if it's my child or my dog or my wife, stuffing food in my mouth while I'm sleeping. Because, right, isn't it impossible to have 12 minutes of REM sleep and live all these years? It's not impossible to live on it, but you could definitely enhance your living. Yeah, look how good I am at 12 minutes of REM sleep. I think I could be a super performer. So, anyways, well, I, not- but is it fair to say that you're someone who like tries to optimize certain aspects of your life? Like you're you're a big time investor, right? You want to try to figure out what are the different things that make an investment successful or not, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't know if it's twelve minutes or forty minutes, but my whoop numbers were so bad that I I, I thought it was broken, and whoop kept sending me like code reds. And so I put it away. But I mean, I knew that going into it, Will. Like, I knew that going into it. And everybody knows me that knows that I, I joke about sleep, not jokingly. And and um, it's a fascination of mine. I have the eight sleep founder on, and I'm on the fence with that. It's because I know 
the tricks and I know it's up to me to improve my sleep and I know I'd be a better performer, but, um, but I perform pretty well. I don't I mean perform. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I haven't hit the point where I'm like totally dialed in like, like some of my friends in data, but like you said, four hours of REM sleep versus my like one hour, this guy is, is unbelievable. Do you think that's a little bit genetic? I think it's a little bit genetic, but it also comes back to a number of lifestyle decisions that are probably positive for him versus negative for you or even for me. Like you and I spend a lot more time at a at a laptop or staring at a screen. I right. mean, he's probably surrounded by nature all day and, you know, in a beautifully cerebral environment. Uh, he probably doesn't consume caffeine. Uh, he... Um, you know, I, I'm sure he has a number of things related to his uh, his lifestyle. And if I went back and re-listened to the the podcast with Alex Honnold, I could I could actually identify those things because we talked about it. Well, I'm excited to listen to the podcast. A non-athlete that you had on the you learned a lot, so I'm excited to go to to the podcast myself. But a non-athlete that that blew your mind. Well, the first guest I had was David Stern. Oh, uh, rest who, in peace. Who built the NBA? Yeah, may he rest in peace. And he he became a uh, a friend and a mentor to me too for a couple of years there. Uh, but his whole story about building the NBA and the number of things he had to overcome to, to pull it off. I mean, people take for granted what sports teams are worth today, but David was one of the key, I think the key leaders who made not just the NBA, but sports broadly uh, as big as they are today. No. I, and, and I know that cause I'm friends with John a little bit. I didn't meet Dave. And, um, but I know that from that winning time, even though the Lakers series, which, you know, was panned by the athletes in it, you know, David was in it or the person playing David, obviously. And you know that he was right there at the air that everything switched. And so that is cool. Well, you have, uh, I got to let you get back to work. So I, I appreciate you uh, goofing off with me a little bit here, but I, my audience is fascinated by this stuff. And as an investor, uh, who would have passed on this 10 different ways from Sunday. I'm fascinated by the, because I know the people involved and they're smart. So this is a, a really great story and you're, you're battling it out. You know, I had Patrick from Sonos on and he's battling it out, you know, against the apples of the world. And in a way you're battling it out in, I call your industry fashionology. You're kind of blending fashion and, and technology. And, um, it's, uh, it's a really important, you know, some people call it, I for, I haven't heard that before, but. I know, I hate the other term that everybody calls it. And so back in 06. What's oh, the other term? Uh, athleisure, it's so lame. Yeah. What do you have, what do you use? Well, I, you know, most people who built wearable technology started with a long spec of technology and, you know, wearable was kind of the afterthought. Uh -huh. And I, and we defined the whole thing through the lens of wearable. Yeah, well, Use fashion. I mean, I look at this as pure fashionology. You figured out the fashion side of it, like you're you're thinking through it, like from different color bands and and where where it is on your body, hiding it. So so it is fashion, and it is technology, and it's just way better than than athleisure, which I hate. So I have this whole index of of fashion and technology companies from Apple to Nike to Restoration Hardware. Anyway, so well, Leo, the fashion index in fashionology is 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 right where you sit. And I think there's good positioning with brands in there from restoration hardware to Lulu. 
Um, but I am going to let you go. Thanks so much for taking the time and congratulations. And I, obviously if I can help, I will like just, uh, in my network, maybe I can help out as you, uh, continue to grow. And, um, hopefully we will uh, meet one day in the future. That sounds great. Well, thanks for having me, Howard. Hey, Canute. Hey, what do you think? I think that's fantastic. He's I mean, funny. <laughs> His non humor is humorous. I know he was, he was really taking you for a ride there. That was awesome. I, I was, Good I was deal. struggling not because he was, he was listening and wanted to get his points across, but I was struggling. I gave him everything I had. You laughed. Was, did, did I embarrass myself? No, old, well, as usual, yes. But okay, you know, but that, you know no, what I mean. In a good way, yes. Yeah. I think he's on to something. He took all my best shtick and delivered the message, which is what uh, entrepreneurs need to do. Yeah. Um, but I think he, he smirked a little. He did. So uh, the Whoop, whoop.com. I am uh, a fan now, and uh, you are listening to Panic with Friends once a week with Knut. We get with people like Will, uh, founders, entrepreneurs, traders, speculators, venture capitalists, try and get uh, some insights into how to grow fast, how to build a great brand, and how to stay a little bit ahead of the markets. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google. Just search my name, Howard Lindzen. You will see Panic with Friends. And you can subscribe. Then once a week, you will get a podcast delivered to you. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Knut. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.